Hello, and welcome back to AMA Thriving in Private Practice. Here with me again today is Mike Grotis from Professional Medical Corporation. Mike is the Director, Healthcare Transformation at EMC and has a wealth of knowledge to offer on contracts for private practices, as we heard on our last episode. If you missed it, I'd encourage you to go back and give it a listen. Today, we're going to pick up that conversation. Good to speak with you again, Mike. Oh, likewise. Um, It was great. Look forward to our session here and taking a little bit deeper dive onto some of the topics here. Exactly. So to pick back up on those threads of the first discussion, can you briefly refresh our listeners on the work that you do and how you're supporting physicians in your physician organization? Sure. So again, um, you know, looking at Professional Medical Corporation, our physician organization, where we have mostly independent physicians coming underneath a a corporate structure to really organize in a way to maximize opportunities and contractual arrangements uh, with the payers. Um, The work that we do with our our background is really setting up our organization and running the physician organization in a way where we have competencies that allow us to really uh, maximize opportunities for incentives as you know, physicians who are out there being independent, want to remain independent, they really rely on additional income into their practice. So this is not so much as, oh, here's some extra funds, but really a major part of, you know, sustaining their independence is the ability to be in an organization that allows for the opportunity and actually generates some of these incentives. So, you know, the work we do is really you know, it's as simple as looking to find ways to maximize incentives for our independent physicians to keep them independent. So in our previous conversation, we um, talked about some terms um, with regards to contracting. Specifically, uh, we talked about value-based contracts or often um, interchangeably risk-based contracts. Can you dig into some of those specifics around that um, for our audience? Oh, absolutely. So one of the foundational pieces we talked last time uh, considerably about, you know, what it takes to form a physician organization and and have a um, highly effective organization. But the key foundational piece of really why you bring physicians together are contracting with health plans. So bringing our physicians together to really leverage the ability to get the best contracts with the payers. If you don't have the right contracts in place and know your market and know your payers and know who you're dealing with and have the ability to negotiate the best deals, you could be in these contracts and still not, you know, reap the rewards or, you know, really um, not maximize the, the opportunities, uh, you know, within the, the different programs. So, uh, there are a lot. So again, the importance contracting and the contracts that a physician organization have are major key piece to the success of the PO. And there are a number of contracts, like we mentioned last time, you have with the different payers, they generally have a commercial product, a Medicare Advantage, and a Medicaid. And the importance of you know understanding is each one of those programs 
have different parameters for negotiating the, the best deal. So there are different things in a Medicare Advantage that you can negotiate versus a Medicaid versus a commercial. So you really have to understand the, the different products um, that, are, that are out there. If you move along the continuum of the uh, value-based contract, which really just means, yes, you have your fee-for-service, somebody comes in for an office visit, here's your $100, Oh, now I have an opportunity if I manage a patient correctly, meet the certain parameters or goals that are set forth in this contract between the payer and our group, you can earn um, additional dollars. So there are programs in, in terms that when you move from this fee-for-service past even quality into total cost of care arrangements that you generally see out there, percentage of premium really means like you're looking at a program whereby you have a certain amount of revenue that the health plan allocates towards the taking care of their members. So they get a premium, you get a percentage of that. It's like a little mini PL that they put forth. They don't give you all that money, but they track it. Here's the money to manage your expenses. If you manage your expenses and do it underneath the revenue, you have a gain and there are different sharing mechanisms. There's also something called medical loss ratio models, which are a percentage of expenses to the actual revenue that is generated. Same concept. Um, I'm just, again, you know, for those who are new to this, you may be, you know, thinking, well, my gosh, what, what are those terms? But just wanted to put it out there because you may hear these terms come up in your discussions as you move forward, or there are even, you know, medical expense targets. So some health plans have just Here's your expense target. If you beat the tar target when you add up all the expense of this membership within your certain program, you have gains. Now, within each one of those type of foundational pieces, how they set up their programs, you can have upside only. You could have upside and downside. As we talked last time, there really is a move for the payers to get into the area of shifting risk down to the physician organization, to the doctors. But when you start out, you can negotiate contracts as you're getting going that gives you a piece of the pie and what are called upside only contracts, whereby, yes, you have this either percentage of premium or medical loss ratio model or expense target. Bottom line, if you make money out of those programs, they will give you a portion of the savings and it's shared between the health plan and the physicians. Generally, when you're in the upside only, meaning, okay, if you don't hit your target, they're not going to come looking for some money from you to pay that back. You just have an opportunity for a gain share if there is a positive outcome within the program. Because we are talking about a lot of complex contracting expectations from plans. Um, and from what we're seeing now, just to underscore, I think that in these in this value-based world, there has been a spectrum, correct? Where yes. you've just noted many folks have been getting into these quote unquote value-based contracts with upside only um, as a way to get providers, physicians, others, hospitals comfortable with this notion of just looking at the total care of a patient, right? That's correct. Yes. You know, physicians always ask, and the AMA has done a RAND study about this, you know, what does value-based contracting mean? And I think it's important to highlight that 
at the end of the day, I think people are approaching this as a goal of trying to improve the overall value, which is the equation around cost and quality, right? So it isn't just about lowering costs. So I don't want to lose that thread of the importance about value um, in terms of quality, because we're going to be getting to some of that um, when we talk about quality metrics. But I think it's important um, to really remind folks about the goal, you know, what's the goal of all of this? Because otherwise, why are health plans asking physicians to take on more risk, which you may agree with or may not. But I think from a PO perspective, what are your thoughts about the the real benefits of maybe being in a risk-based contract to potentially deliver um, higher quality care. I'm just curious on your thoughts there. Oh, sure. Yeah. And the health plans are very highly motivated to engage with physicians because, as we all know, in the health insurance world, premiums are going up for customers. So if you're an employer, um, the health plans always struggle with, how am I going to stop this this trend Every year, there's a medical expense trend, a utilization trend that, that goes up, could be 5 6 7%. And in order to cover those expenses, the health plan's looking, I can't keep raising my premium to my customers, to these employers. They, number one, can't afford it. Number two, I'll lose their business. So they are really you know, motivated to look at taking care of their membership like you indicated, in a very effective way, certainly giving them the right care. There are places, there's a lot of waste in the system that can be corrected that will cut costs out. So yes, you're absolutely right about quality. Yes, the health plans are motivated to work with groups and make them more accountable um, because they feel they'll be more motivated to actually take the necessary steps to more effectively manage those patients in a very effective and quality driven way. Again, we've talked about this trend um, with employers and health plans seeking more risk-based contracting on this notion that that is the solution to potentially um, hopefully improving quality while lowering costs. You took care of the nation. It's time for the nation to take care of you. The AMA stood by America's physicians and patients during the pandemic, and we're not stopping there. We're fixing prior authorization, leading the charge on Medicare payment reform, supporting telehealth, fighting scope creep, and reducing physician burnout. It's time to rebuild, and the AMA is ready. To learn more about the AMA Recovery Plan for America's physicians, go to ama-assn.org slash time to rebuild. So many physicians, however, are not yet ready to assume financial risk. Um, And and I would advise them that they should not be entering risk-based contracts unless they have some key components, some key knowledge in their uh, wheelhouse. So from your perspective, what do physician practices have to have in place to successfully entertain assuming a risk-based contract? I think it would be something that in order to even be offered one, you would have to have some kind of organizational structure, or you may not even have the opportunities. We talked about having kind of a a one-off contract with a health plan. That being said, you would find a organization or other physicians that you have with common goals and common motivation to really 
engage in managing the patient. So, you know, we certainly see a spectrum of, of physicians. Some are better at, you know, managing their patient than others. Some are more motivated than, than others. But the key would to be find, you know, in an organization that aligns that does have the infrastructure. And what do you look for? You look for a foundational piece where they do have, you know, contracts with, with health plans. They have the ability to have some of these upside only agreements as they're just jumping into things. Um, so they don't have that downside exposure. Uh, once they do start getting some downside, there are ways that, you know, money can be retained by health plans where it's not going to be here, hand me a check. There are, are some, you know, usually smaller downsides that are associated with that. Having a PO that will support you in your, your technology and set aside strategic funding to really encourage the use of your electronic medical records, which really help you manage a patient, get information out, help you kind of close the quality gaps from information with the health plans that you're passing back to them. And also have a team of professionals who have experiences, who have had proven success. So again, men mentioning, you know, infrastructure that you do have, not only is technology, but you have folks who can go out into the practices on a routine basis, bring these reports out, bring reports that show them exactly what they need to do, train them, train their staff keep rounding with them on a monthly basis. All these programs change, they vary, they have to be up to speed, they have to know in their very, very busy practice, oh, here's the list I need to focus on. Here's, you know, it's disseminated down here, work on these 25 patients to bring them into the office because you need a visit to take care of them in a way that, again, will manage according to, you know, some of the uh, contractual provisions that allow the incentives to be triggered. So. It really is having an organization that can educate, could train, that's kind of walking in lockstep, that allow them to understand what their exposure is, what it's not, being very transparent. There are many organizations we find here, even in our market, we have physicians jumping into our organization going, oh my gosh, I didn't even know what the contract was or how much I would have owed or how much I gained. Being very transparent that, oh, we've had a gain, Here's a distribution methodology to the physicians that will be very straightforward and fair. I mean, committees that can go and actually, you know, kind of go through that, vote on that and have a very formal, transparent way of doing business. Yeah, I think that I think the keywords that you highlighted were absolutely what I would say a takeaway is that culture of working together. Right. And understand what the values are. Yes the infrastructure, so the technology, the EHR capabilities, the care coordination, tracking and monitoring, which is quite a lot. Um, it, 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 and I'm sure you know better than I, if you're, if you're managing across 10 different you know, payers, and I can only imagine they all have different measures and all looking for different things, um, which really gets into this notion of the burden. You know, what's the burden <laughs> Absolutely. on the practice do this and to do it well. My takeaway from this conversation is that there are some key components that need to be in place for a practice um, to assume risk in a contract. Really, you need that culture um, that's committed to um, you know managing costs effectively, um, striving towards potentially you know improving quality based on quality metrics. You also need the infrastructure that goes with that. So clearly. 
uh, an electric, electronic health record, the tracking and monitoring of the care collaboration. And then I also think you have to be able to financially manage all those dollars coming in with that risk. And to me, this all sounds quite potentially administratively burdensome. So talk a bit about that burden and how that is managed from your PO's perspective. Um, It is going to require additional work on a physician level. And that's where we do, you know, really struggle with our physicians who are are so burdened with their their patient loads. And certainly COVID was here as, and they're going, oh my gosh, I mean, you know, 15 value-based programs. And when you add up the other programs, you know, we, we may have an excess over 25. How do I keep all this straight? I got to see my patients. So what we try and do is, so, so with our team, and we call them practice consultants, the ones who are actually going out to the practice, and we have a manager over that area. We also have an operations person that can help form out some efficiencies. We look to find ways to condense all these different 15 programs down to kind of a very concise meeting with physician. Because when we're asking to get into their office on a monthly basis and take an hour of their time, sometimes it's very difficult for them to remove themselves. But yes, it is definitely on their staff and on them. There are things that they, they have to realize that they need to undertake to be successful in the program. And the way that we try and minimize that, there is extra work, is to every meeting we have with them to make sure there's value add that we're very concise in the delivery of what exactly they need to do, even getting down to here's the system you need to go in, here's the report you need to look at, here's your patient list, here's the follow-ups when I'm out next month, let's talk through that. So there are ways you could you have through your structure that takes a lot of the burden off, but there still are many things physician has to do, and it is additional work on their behalf. So it sounds like one of the benefits of forming the PO is that there are full-time professional staff employed by the PO, paid for through the organization and the physicians participating in the organization yes. that are really assuming some of these administrative tasks, these the quality reporting analysis. Um, so it's it's not just negotiating, you know, the contracts, which is what you're doing, but there's also staff there to provide all this other important support that's needed to be successful in those contracts. That is absolutely correct. You you said it very well. So yeah, I only stress the importance of the foundational piece of the contracts, because if you don't have the right things in place, and I know there are multi-millions of dollars left on the table that if you don't have somebody who understands how to negotiate and what the market's like, you'll be leaving on the table with that, again, being said. Um, yeah, there are there are ways to you know mitigate some of the burden. And again, there is staff that is part of the PO that when you start earning incentives or you get some upfront money, you do have to support yourself. So the health plans here in our market recognize the infrastructure, and that is the staff, exactly like you said, that goes out and takes care of the physicians. Um, we're even getting into, um, you know, not even just managing the contracts, uh, which we do a, a, a very good job at in terms of earning incentives. But we have our leadership saying, you know, I know you're doing this, but we have pain points in our practice. So the PO, we've actually gotten into an area where what are the pain points? Oh, my gosh. Some of the EHRs, the electronic medical record systems they have working with the vendors, 
where you put the information. I've got to, you know, so we've actually have an individual that goes around and practices helping them answer questions with their EHR. Or if there are certain things they need a patient list call for a certain, you know, Medicaid population that has to come in, we'll assist with some of that. Or even quality entry into one of the health plan systems or the forms that a health plan requires. We are trying to go an extra level and step, and that's what a PO can do for you to take away some of the burden and the pain points, not even related to specifically some of the main work that you do regarding the contracts. Medicine doesn't stand still, and at the AMA, neither do we. AMA members are physicians like you who are shaping the future of medicine. Become a member today and join the movement. Visit ama-assn.org slash movingmedicine. Yes, that is such an important component, I think, of what um, your organization and other POs or IPAs do is provide that level of administrative support. Because as we noted at the beginning of our, our series here with you, you know, care is so complex these days. Um, and managing contracts and multiple contracts against multiple, multiple payers, because unfortunately, there isn't a lot of alignment among those contracts. It's just really that burden that I think is very overwhelming when a physician thinks about even entering into a private practice arrangement. So it is great to know that POs are out there as an option. Um, I'm going to touch on a point um, that actually adds more complexity potentially um, to this already complex environment, which is telehealth. So we know, um, you know, obviously during the pandemic, telehealth became a lifeline for practices and there has been rapid adoption of it. But tell me about that piece of the puzzle with, re with regards to adoption of telehealth and the PO. What is that looking like and what are you hearing from commercial plans with regards to contracting around the use of telehealth? Yes. And we've seen so much change. So before COVID hit, telehealth was very, very minor. I think the evolution really escalated and got put on a fast track a couple of years back. So um, the health plans were very good about recognizing the need then for telehealth. So they really modified some of their rules regarding which patients, members can have telehealth, what you can accomplish through a telehealth visit, adding codes that are, are billable, compensating physicians at a level they may have um, directly as, as if somebody was coming into the office versus a reduced rate. So health plans have been great in terms of communicating, trying to add codes, trying to modify to the way that the physicians needed to practice via telehealth. And again, as a PO, we really assisted. We have um, a number of resources that understand telehealth and we're actually worked with a number of our practice to aid them and assist them into getting the technology and understanding the technology and how to get set up for telehealth. And then certainly all the rules that were coming from the 10 different health plans we contract with us making sure they understood what those were so their biller could build the appropriate code so they could still get paid to keep their practice running during that time. So yes, much more in that space. It really escalated now. Most of our physicians are doing telehealth. They're actually maintaining that even now as some patients want that. So that has really taken a turn in a positive direction, both um, the ability to do that, the technology, 
physician and patient comfort level and the health plans recognizing and compensating for that. Do you think that the long-term coverage of telehealth from the health plans will be retained? Because I know during COVID there there were parity. Um, and I think in certain markets that may be going backwards. What's your sense and how can the role of a PO um, take place in terms of ensuring that there is continued adequate reimbursement for a telehealth visit versus an in-person visit? I think that although you may have a payer or two that, that want to you know, do some reversion back, most of them recognize now the importance and that's kind of the new way of life. If there are certain codes or circumstances, though, that are physicians feeling, well, I'm on the phone, but I don't see a reimbursable code or I'm not sure. Can I bill for this? As a PO, part of our job, part of the administrative job is to be the liaison with the health plan where we have meetings with all our health plans, basically on a monthly or quarterly basis called joint operating committees, whereby we have contacts there that we, on behalf of our physicians, take their issues to one being if they need a telehealth uh, code reimbursed or it's not being reimbursed appropriately, we get to the level in an organization of a health plan where they will take it to their leadership, assess it, knowing probably we're not the only ones asking for that, but we will press very hard to get some of the changes made. And, and a PO can make a difference in that. And we have made a difference working with health plans to accommodate our physicians. That is great and good to know. So I think we're um, unfortunately going to have to wrap up our session because this has been so fascinating and so much information. Um, and again, encourage our listeners to go back and listen to the first session with Mike, which was really foundational to some of this, this conversation. So as we um, move to closure today, Mike, and again, thank you so much for your time. Maybe if you could recap for us sort of the big key takeaways that we've talked about um, in our two conversations around the importance of the role of a PO or an IPA to allow individual private practice physicians to be participants in these, you know, key trends going forward with regards to contracting and provision of high quality care. Sure. So just as if you think about the um, CMS ACOs and what they were trying to do now for a number of years and, and look at, you know, sharing costs with physicians, the health plans or the payers we know are, are moving in that direction. That's not going to stop it. It is going to continue to escalate in terms of the better part of your reimbursement may be coming from these incentive programs. And it will be in a movement that those who can perform well and do well will be grabbing bigger pieces of the pie in the incentive world as the incentive programs change for the physicians, not only to just jump into them and get paid that way, but actually take some of the downside risks. So as we know, it's moving in that direction and health plans are pressing hard and we don't see it going back. It is important, as we indicated, to make sure you understand your market, what health plans and payers actually pay for. Do they do contracts with POs? Do you have POs in your market or PHOs that you can start talking to, to connect with if you're an independent doctor wanting to join, because there are bigger opportunities if you can get yourself in a physician organization. That also, you have to pick the right physician organization. In our market, there's there's 40 across the state and three even in our direct market. So physicians do have an option. So you have to make sure you, as a physician, are selecting and almost interviewing the POs to understand, are you transparent? What kind of deals do you have? What's your reimbursement structure? How do you treat your physicians? 
And again, the importance of understanding, you know, which PO you're joining is, is very important as well. So competition is important in these markets, even among physician organizations, which is really good to know. Um, and that, you know, Michigan may be unique in that, that level and that penetration in the market. But I think this is why we really wanted to bring you um, to the conversation, Mike, just because you have such great experience in this field. And um, we really appreciate you taking time out of your busy day for all the work that you're doing on behalf of the physicians in, in your PO in Michigan and sharing your expertise with our listeners today. Well, great. It was a pleasure speaking with you and being able to share. And again, it's for the common good. We, we know there are independent physicians wanting to remain independent. And, and really, the message I'd like to leave them with, there is opportunity. There are opportunities. There is like hope. Don't feel defeated. You will find a path. You'll find a way. And you have opportunities to remain independent and still, still do well and, and keep your, your practice that way. I could not have said it better. Thank you so much. All right. Well, great talking with you. And and thanks again for the opportunity to, to, to share information today. Great. So you can find the AMA's contracting resources that we've touched upon in today's conversation, including our resources on value-based contracting at ama-assn.org forward slash getting started. I'm Carol Vargo. And until next time, this has been Thriving in Private Practice. Thank you so much for listening.